Hey, we are Vintage City Church based out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Welcome to our podcast. As a family, we are currently studying the Book of Romans. If you'd like to watch the live video of this teaching, head over to VintageCityChurch.com. We're so glad you're here, and let's get started with today's teaching. All right, hey, good morning, everybody. Grab a seat when you're able to. Good morning. Hey, if you're new to Vintage City Church, welcome. Um, my name's, uh, my name's what? My name's David. I get to serve on the teaching team here at Vintage. We have been, for about the last year or so, going through the book of Romans. And if you, to understand sort of the, the depth that we've been going into the text, the last time I taught was three months ago when I taught the final verse of chapter 12, and this morning I get to teach the first verse of chapter 13. Uh, so that gives you a sense of, of how we've been, we've been diving in. <clears throat> so Romans chapter 13 begins this way in verse 1. It says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Now let's just stay up front. That's a tough opening line, right? You ever sign a deal with Netflix for a special? Don't begin with a line like that, right? It doesn't bring the room together. And especially for some of you, hearing an English accent say that can be quite triggering. If so, <laughs> raise your hand, we'll gather around you and, and pray. You can picture Cornwallis saying this line 250 years ago as a group of rebels or terrorists, however you term them, are throwing tea into cold water, which the main offense to us was that you don't brew tea in cold water, okay? It's a, a devastating waste of beautiful uh, spices. But no, I, I say all that to say because this text, the first seven verses that we're going to explore today, what I notice when I read it is that I'm looking for my out. Anybody else? I'm looking for like the, yeah, but you don't really have to do this. Or I'm looking for the like, ah, this was purely contextual to the Romans. And so just to acknowledge this passage and what it might be doing inside of us, even as we read it together. So Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7 say this, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them, if you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So the title for today's message, if it had one, would be Living Under Authority. 
Have you ever noticed in any given day how many times you find yourself under the authority of someone or something else? On Tuesday, I woke up early and started driving to the airport. And as soon as, as, soon as I'm on I-25, now I'm under the authority of the police who are tra- tracking my speed various points along the way. When I get to the airport, now I'm under the authority of the TSA, right? Everyone's favorite authority. If this was a video game, the TSA would be the final boss, right? And as I go through uh, the, the scanner, it's wonderful. I get a little beep sound. And the lady informs me that I've been specially selected for a swab of my hands, at which point I start pointing to my watch and yelling to the man who's calling me over, saying, I'm in a rush, I'm in a rush, to which he responds, I totally get it, don't worry about it, keep going. No, of course he responds in those beautiful, uh, they must do this in training, he literally says, I quote, I don't care. And so I take that as a cue, and so I walk over, get my hands swabbed, Then I go through, I get on the aeroplane, and now I'm under the authority of the FAA, right? And so I can stand up when they tell me to stand up, sit down when they tell me to sit down, and I can go to the restroom when they say it's safe to do so. We're flying in the plane, and now we're under the laws of gravity and the laws of physics. I I arrive in in the city, go to the hotel, and now I'm under the authority and the rules of the, uh, the business. I want to explore the city, so I get on one of those uh, little like lime scooters. If you've been on those electric scooters, I uh, scoot around the city for a little bit and then come back and try and park it. But on the app and on the thing, I'm told I can't park here. Why? Because I'm under the authority of the city government and you're not allowed to park in this little section. Right? So for, for some of us, when we think about all of this, we start hyperventilating, thinking, wait, I thought I was free. I, McDonald's served me freedom fries. I thought this meant I was free. But no, I'm under authority, and I have to submit myself in all these different cases. And so authority is all around us. As we come into this passage then, we could do a whole set of teaching on what it means to to look like to live with authority because we are, as humans and especially as followers of Jesus, we have been given authority that we have to live with. But today's message is not about living with authority, but rather about living under authority. And so verse one begins and it says, be subject. It's this word, it means be lower than, be subordinate to. But in this passage, as I read it, it raises a bunch of questions that my, uh, the, the intent of sharing these is not that I have great answers to these questions, but just to say that these are the kinds of things as I read that it stirs inside of me. First of all, it talks about be subject to the governing authorities. There's different uh, teachers or scholars who debate what authority is Paul referring to in this moment. Is he referring to the government, i.e. the Roman authorities and leadership outside of the church? Or is he referring to the, uh, the, the synagogue leaders? Or is he referring to something else? This is not the first time that Paul, or the only time that Paul will write about submitting to governing authorities. In Titus 3 verse 1, he will write, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, 
to be ready to do, listen to this, whatever is good. I think that's important because as we'll see throughout scripture, there are examples of where we, we see examples of where authority is challenged. Okay, but we have questions about what does authority mean? Then it talks about the fact that God has established them. Now, I don't know fully what that means and how all that plays out. I don't know if that means that literally God uh, selects the specific individual and establishes that individual, and therefore, does that mean our votes don't matter when we cast our votes? Does that mean that he guides our hearts in such a way to cast our votes? Does that mean, I, I don't know. I don't know fully what it means that he established them, or, or does it mean that God has established authority in general, and whomever holds that position of authority, whomever they are, is to be honored based on that God has established authority. We see, of course, how God uh, tells us, he says, honor your father and mother, right? That doesn't necessitate your, your ma- f- uh, mother, mother, your father. Your mother and father being good people, irrespective of who they are and how they treat you and how they treat others, he calls us to a posture of honor. But in this, in Titus 3 verse 1, remember, he says, do whatever, whatever is good, right? So it could be this case, hey, God didn't establish taxes, but we see in the gospels where Jesus calls us to pay taxes, We remember in John 19, for example, when Jesus is before Pilate and Pilate says to Jesus, do you not know that I have the authority to set you free or to have you crucified? And Jesus looks back at him and says these words, you would have no authority over me if it were not given to you from above. We see this fascinating example in the life of Jesus of where he is simultaneously submitting to the authority of Pilate while making very clear to him where the source of that authority comes from. We also don't know, for example, in this passage exactly, or I don't know exactly, what does it mean when it talks about paying taxes, right? In verse seven, does this mean pay our, is, the, is he talking to the Romans about paying their government taxes, or is he talking to them about, about paying their uh, drachma temple tax, or what is he referring to here? So there's a lot of things that remain unanswered, for me at least, in this passage, but as I read it, what I felt like it was teaching me about, it was raising and causing to stir within me, was about what is my relationship to authority and how might I need to engage that. So today, whether I'm thinking about the authority over me in the, in the marketplace, my boss or whomever, whether I'm thinking about the police or the local government or the national government or, or whatever kind of authority I'm thinking about, the TSA or whatever, I'm thinking about this, this question that says, okay, God, What do you have for me to understand today about how I might live under this authority in a way that first and foremost honors your authority? So in order to get there and in order to unpack this a little bit, I think it's worth just going back historically to 1772. No, to going back further um, to the Israelites of before they ever had a king over them and looking at the history of their 
authority. We read about this in 1 Samuel 8, and before we get to the text uh, that will come up in just a few minutes, a little context for this is, is, uh, what is the context? Oh yeah, Samuel is growing, I was losing track of names there. So Samuel is growing old, and so he appoints his two sons to be rulers over the people of Israel. Their name is Joel and Abijah. And the problem is, is that these two sons don't follow his ways. They pervert justice. They they can easily be bribed and they simply are not following the Lord. And so the others, the, the elders or the others from the people of Israel come to Samuel and they say, you are old. Now, just to be clear, in today's day and age, that would be an HR violation and they'd be escorted out the door, right? But back then, I guess you were allowed to say this kind of thing. So they come to Samuel and they say, you are old. And they say, and your sons um, are not following your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us like all the other nations. Samuel didn't like this idea. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord speaks back to Samuel and says this, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. They are forsaking me and serving other gods. Listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. In other words, what God is saying about his people and their posture towards authority is that they are asking for a king. They already have a king. They just don't want me as their king. And the reality is that since that moment, we, have the, we as the people of God have been dealing with the ripple effects of that decision. That when a group of people rejected the authority of God, they opened themselves up to what it looks like to live under the authority of man. And so in 1 Samuel 8, verse 11, remember God says, solemnly warn them what a king will do. He says this, Samuel says this to the people. He says, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses. They will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest. Still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks. You yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. So you can see, right, the people come saying, we want a king, we want to be like all the other nations, we want to be led, we want somebody else to fight our battles. And Samuel responds and warns them, he says, this is what that authority over you is going to do. Could you imagine this as like a yard sign, like campaign slogan, right? I'll take you male and female servants, I'll take you plow your fields, I'll, take all your, I'll send your sons off to war, right? Probably wouldn't get a lot of votes, right? But this reality is that these people were so desperate 
to replace the authority of God with the authority of something else, someone else, that they were prepared to make that trade-off. And here's what I think is fascinating or instructive for us about this passage, is that what Samuel doesn't say is, hey folks, a king would be really bad, but if you could democratically elect a president, or maybe even better, a prime minister, everything would be just fine. He doesn't say that, right? Because I think what he's teaching them and telling them is that anytime you place an authority over you, other than the authority of God, you are going to find yourself in a huge mess, in a huge set of pain. And you see that what is driving the people here to pursue this authority is three main things. Number one, they want to be like everybody else. Number two, they want to be led by somebody else. And number three, they want that somebody else to fight their battles for them. I think it's instructive for us because here's the reality, is that if you and I simply choose to submit to the authority of man without first submitting to the authority of God, that is not a posture of honor, that is a posture of idolatry. Where we have exchanged the authority of God for the authority of ourselves. In Romans chapter one, where we began about a year or so ago, it says of the people, it says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And in 1 Samuel chapter eight, we meet a group of people who exchange the truth of God, the authority of God for something else. And church, I think it's important for us to understand that reality that we were first and foremost designed to live under the authority of God. And so then we come back to Romans 13 and we say, all right, well, does that mean we can simply get rid of any bad leaders who don't line up with our perspective of the values of God? And I don't think that's what Romans 13 and what the scriptures teach us. You see, we see as we go through the scriptures, we see these different examples of what it looks like to honor authority, and we also see examples of what it looks like to challenge authority. And even when the challenge is made, I would argue that there is still honor given. So we see, for example, these examples of honoring authority. We see in the Old Testament when David is on the run from that king that they appointed, Saul, and Saul is seeking to kill him. David and his men are hiding in a cave. Saul needs a bathroom break, right? And so he goes, this is a true story, so he goes into the cave, okay? This is a very vulnerable time for any man, as you well know, and he goes into the cave and he needs to use the restroom, okay? And, uh, and he's, the, David is behind him and his men are saying, kill him now, kill him now. This is like a great moment, okay? It's maybe not a movie perfect scene, but it's a little messy, but let's get him right now, right? They're saying, let's end this thing right now. And David reaches forward and doesn't kill him, but cuts off the corner of his garment and then immediately feels guilty and turns to his men and he says, may the Lord not let me put out my hand against my leader 
for he is the Lord's chosen one. David stopped his men with these words. He did not let them go against Saul. So Saul stood up and left the cave and went on his way. See, there's something remarkable about this moment. And what I think David is doing is pushing back against that tendency to say, where where it's almost like David's men were saying to him, David, we want you to fight our battle for us. We want you to kill him. And in a sense, what David is saying is, that is God's battle to fight, not mine. That as long as God has appointed him and until God tells me it's my time, I will not kill, I will not put my hand against the Lord's chosen. See, what what David is showing us is that sometimes we could have a tendency to fight against authority, but what we're really doing is not actually submitting to the authority of God. We're actually placing ourselves into a place of authority. And what I'm struck by in this moment in 1 Samuel 24 when David does this is that David says, wait, 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 wait. That is God's battle to fight, not mine. But we see his posture of honoring authority. We see also that... In Matthew 22, verse 21, where the people come to Jesus and say, should we pay taxes, right? And he says, no, don't worry about it. It's all good, okay? No, he says, says, bring me a coin. They bring him a a coin. He says, whose image and inscription is this? They say, Caesar's. He says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. So Jesus is reminding us or pointing to this reality of saying like, hey, like, we as followers of him, as him as our rabbi, there are certain parts of authority that we are being to a posture of honor, right? That means when we, you know, uh, file our taxes in a few weeks or whatever, there's this uh, tendency within us to get, and I know it myself, to get really frustrated with the system that we're in, but we have to uh, remind ourselves Again, that Jesus says, hey, just like give to them what belongs to them, but give to God what belongs to God. So we see these examples also in scripture of where followers of God or followers of Jesus are challenging authority. So we see this right in the book of Daniel when the law comes out that says you cannot pray to anyone but the ruler for a period of time and Daniel disobeys that law and prays three times daily towards God and he gets caught in the act of that and thrown into the lion's den and what happens? God fights his battle for him. But we do see that example there in Daniel of where Daniel in a sense is challenging the rule of the day because it goes in direct conflict with the authority of God in his life. We also see in the gospels, we see Jesus healed someone on the Sabbath. And that was against the interpretation of the law of the rulers of that day. The the religious rulers of that day would say, you cannot heal on the Sabbath, but Jesus challenged their authority in a sense. Why? Because he responded, he reported to the authority of God. We see this also in Acts 4 verses 18 and 19. Peter and John are preaching and sharing the gospel. And it says, then they, that is the authorities of the day, called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. It says, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him, you be the judges. 
You see, we see this example then of Peter and John of saying, listen, we, we will honor the authority of man only so far as it is not in conflict with the authority of God. And so they're giving us then this example of what it looks like to say, hey, when the law of man is in conflict with the law of God, the law of God trumps all for them. We also see some historical examples outside of scripture. We see the likes of Corey ten Boom and Bonhoeffer and others who at great personal cost, at great personal risk, disobeyed uh, the authority of that day in order to preserve and rescue the lives of others. Now, what I would say that strikes me from these examples is this, is that the examples of those who were challenging authority were not doing it from a place of personal annoyance. They were actually doing it in a place of great personal cost. This was not Corey ten Boom simply saying, these laws are ridiculous, I want to gain power for myself. She was actually saying, these laws violate the laws of God, and I must stand in the breach to protect his children. And again, church, I think that is instructive for us of what... It looks like to engage Romans 13 from a posture that says, okay, but I I need to first learn to discern the voice of God because if I live in submission to the authorities of this world without first discerning what it looks like to live under the authority of God, then I'll find myself off course. Then we look at Jesus's posture towards authority. I think his posture towards authority to, to kind of support what we've been talking about today can be summed up in eight words, eight words in English or in the original Greek, by the way, where he says, not my will, but your will be done. I think this Forest Church is a, a guiding principle that guides what it looks like to navigate this world, knowing that at every single touch point, we are under the authority of someone or something else. You see, not only does Jesus say, your will be done, but Jesus first says, not my will be done. There is first and foremost a surrendering that says, my response to this is, my response to others' authority is not gonna be guided by what I want, but rather by what God wants. And this, I think, is really important that our response must not be governed by selfish ambition or even personal annoyance, but rather by his voice calling us to something. So we must learn to tune our ears to his authority above everything else. I also think we need to do that in such a way that we remember what authority we are really in battle with. See, Ephesians 6 verses, verse 12 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I would say it for myself that sometimes my frustrations with the authorities of this world can distract me from the battle that God has actually caused me, called me to fight, which is that we do not fight against the TSA, Right? I did on Tuesday, okay? I lost handily, okay? But my hands were clean, they swabbed them, everything was all good, okay? I made the flight on time, okay? 
But uh, jokes aside, I, I, I want to get this point that I, I, I want to share with you this morning the texture that we see in Scripture, right? That when we read Romans 13, we must read it in the context of the story of Daniel. We must read it in the context of the teaching of Jesus. We must read it in the context of Peter and John. We must uh, read it in the context of of those occasions where authority has been both honored and authority has been challenged, but even when authority has been challenged, it has been done with a posture of honor. And then we will see this, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2, verses one and two, which I think church uh, describes for us what our posture might be towards authority. He says, I urge then first of all that petitions, Prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So we can deduce, I think, from Scripture that authority and honor really matters to God. And what I think it's going to look like for us to be a people who engage with Romans 13 and Matthew 22 and Acts 4 and 1 Samuel 8 and all these passages really well, is that we would be a people who first and foremost, we have a default position of honor. A default position of honor and submission, but that this would be paired with this which is essential, that we would learn to be a people who listen to the voice of God and submit to his authority above all else. And again, I think historically we see these examples that when followers of Jesus do that well, their response to authority is not driven by my own selfish ambition or personal annoyance or all that stuff, but it is driven by this thing like Peter and John said in Acts chapter four, should I listen to you or should I listen to him? And that his voice would guide above all. And then lastly, church, it is this, that First Timothy 2 teaches us that we must be a people who pray and make intercession for those in authority. I think it's worth pausing, at least for me, and reflecting a little bit about all the places where I do have authority in life. Authority in my home, authority in the workplace in certain contexts. And first and foremost, to come on my knees before the Lord and say, Lord, help me to steward the authority that I have been given. And help me to pray for those who have authority over me. That if Romans 13, as we read that and we think about, hey, these, these places of authority have been established by God, then those men and women who are in those positions of authority over me will be as accountable before God as I am for the authority that he has given me. Let's stand together uh, and pray together this morning. Father, we, we often find ourselves, much like 
the early disciples coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, when are you going to overthrow this thing? And Jesus, we are so just wrapped up in worship of you that you came to fight a battle against principalities and powers and darkness. And that you as the creator of the universe, the heir of all things, would submit yourself and learn obedience by the things that you suffered. We come together this morning and we ask that in the places where you have given us authority, that we would steward that authority with wisdom and compassion and kindness. And in those places where we are under authority, we pray for those above us, for those in government, for those in church, for those in business, those faces that are coming before each of us this morning as those who have a position of authority over us. We pray for them as they steward that authority that first and foremost they would submit to you. Your word says that without wise leadership, nations fall. And so we know how essential leadership is. And we pray for our leaders. We thank you for your word, how it teaches us, challenges us, encourages us. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your time with us today. If you enjoyed this teaching, we'd love to invite you to join us at a live gathering. We are located at 1501 Academy Court in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about Vintage City Church, including our gathering times, previous teachings, and how to become a part of our family, visit us today at vintagecitychurch.com and be sure to connect with us on social media.